Welcome back to Life in the Center Lane. This is your host, Nick. Um, <clears throat> hope everyone's doing well today. Uh, it is the 5th of December. Probably published this on the same day. I, uh, As you might have noticed, I'm now doing, in essence, one podcast a day. Um, might be a little more than I'll keep uh, going forward with. But, you know, at this point, I kind of enjoy it. So uh, let's keep on going until such time as... I start putting a few days in between them. I kind of have a lot of material backed up in my head I've wanted to get out for some time now. Um, <clears throat> maybe a housekeeping note here, but I, I did see the um, some of the impeachment hearings from the Judiciary Committee uh, in the House yesterday, and I, I just think they're, uh, at this point, comical. Um, everyone and their mother knows that the House is going to impeach the president. You don't really need to have any other data points to go off of, um, and the Republican argument of, well, it's unfair, I think is a bit absurd, too. Um, it, I mean, it's it's fair, it's an impeachment, uh, which is a political event, not a legal event, until it gets to the Senate, in which case it becomes a trial, and then it becomes a legal event. You can have a full trial with examination of of witnesses and and, and cross and all the things that I've I've heard about from Republicans now. We, we you know, this isn't fair. This is not right. This is the equivalent right now of um, if a uh, law enforcement body were to get a complaint uh, that you or somebody else had done something illegal and was investigating that and having witnesses come in to testify or to give them information on it. That's where we're at right now, right? And so you can't exactly normal functioning democracy, or in our in our form of judicial or justice, you can't exactly be there with the police to ask questions of the witnesses. Now, once you go to trial, by all means, you, you can and should. But we're not at trial yet. That's after we can get impeached in the house. So, I think this just go as fast as it can. Let's get the impeachment done. Let's go to the trial. And let's see where the cards go in the trial. Let's see how they fall. Uh, you know, they might fall one way or another. I really have no way of knowing. Uh, and what I've seen so far isn't exactly hyper compelling, but it's you know, there's some what appears to be some malfeasance. Um, <clears throat> but at the end of the day, I, I don't think the Senate is going to remove the president for the Ukraine situation. I mean, it's suboptimal, and I wouldn't do it. Uh, I, I think it's not the way that a president should act, and I don't think it's the way that should have gone on. It did happen. I, I think it's clear uh, that it did. Um, I just don't know if it's if I would remove the president for that. I mean, there's all kinds of other things I would remove the president for. You know, potentially being like of unfit or unsound mind. I would go. I would buy that for a dollar. But nevertheless, it's not this argument here. <clears throat> it's just a current events uh, thing I've noticed over the last few months or a few months. Uh, on the impeachment scandal as it is. Uh, I just don't think there's enough there for a full removal of the president. Now, <coughs> with that being said, what I'd like to talk to you about today something that's been on my mind um, for years. And I've, I've taken a lot of time to formulate this idea or this thought process um, uh, about what I'm going to mention today. Now, there's been a lot of books written on this topic, too. Uh, and these books... Uh, some of them have been very good. Jared Diamond has one, uh, Guns, Germs, and Steel. Some have not have been not as good. But the whole the whole premise of this discussion today is why are some societies successful and others not? Well, it, well, historically, 
Why were Europeans able to travel the world, colonize large sections of it, and command the world for um, a, a couple centuries before being displaced by the rest of the population catching up technologically? Or if they were technologically as advanced, being able to, uh, to, to meet the European spread? What, what enabled that to happen for the Europeans, and, and why did it not happen for other countries? And there's a whole bunch of, of data points to go off of here. And people have come up with all these theories. So Jared Diamond's theories are pretty good. I don't think they're perfect, but I think they're a, a pretty good step. Some of the theories I've read I don't think are as good. Uh, I, I read a book that discussed um, this being a, a function of uh, government style and that governments that had more freedom in them allotted their populations to, to discover more things and were more technologically advanced, therefore could conquer more, et cetera, et cetera. Which, okay, is a fine statement to make. I think this is a multivariate problem uh, or discussion that we can have or we should have, and it's not as simple as uh, one thing or another. But I'm going to give you a variable that I think is the outsized variable that is not mentioned almost at all. And that variable is energy, power. The development of. Now, when I say power and energy, I'm sure the first thing you think of is the light switch in your house or the power that runs your car, the, the gas that can you, to make it go, the, the energy used from there, or so oil or something else, which I think is a fine way to think about it. And, and, and that is a subset of what I'm discussing here. But in my mind, human, human society has been limited by its ability to produce and project power. Uh, onto its environment. And what I mean by that is, we think of now uh, the car can get you from point A to point B. So you can put oil, which is a form of energy, into your vehicle, which took energy to make your vehicle, um, in order to get you to your place of employment. And that place of employment can be, you know, 5, 10, 20 miles away. Let's say it's 20 miles away, which is not obscene, and that's fairly... That, that, that can happen in large uh, urban areas. You can live in the suburbs and transit in every day 20 miles. 120 years ago, you would have had to use the power generated from my horse to get there. Um, and 20 miles in a day on a horse, I mean, you're not going to make a, you're not making that trip every day, right? You're making that trip once and then coming back on the weekends kind of thing. It's not, not something you're going to do. Um, and I think it's a, it's a good place to kind of wrap our head around. Um, and this is a, another question or comment I have about the climate environment uh, as well. One of these things, the climate's changing, what do we do about it? Well, the problem is power generation. Our power is currently generated from oil or from coal. Most of it com comes from hydrocarbons. Um, so uh, the, the issue here is um, we have to reduce our carbon footprint. How do we do that? Well, we should go to solar or wind. I think that's probably the wrong answer. I think it's the eventual answer, but I think the intermittent answer is nuclear power. But I'll have a discussion on nuclear power at some future date because I think the way that we all view nuclear power is wrong. Uh, same thing with, with oil and coal. I think they're all completely wrong. But I'll discuss that in the future. But to this topic, power is the, the limiting factor in human societal success. Now, there are other factors as well. I mean, if, if you have a society that is exceptionally technically knowledgeable but is insular and refuses to reach outward, then it, all the technology in the world doesn't help. And uh, par for example is the Chinese um, in the 14 or 1500s, I forget the exact timeline, 
the, the Chinese had a fleet um, that could have gone across the Pacific and reached North America or South America with ease. Uh, these ships were massive. Uh, you know, they, they make the the European, Portugal, Portuguese uh, ships and, and Spanish ships look like just rowboats because they're not very big anyway. But these ships were just extremely massive. And um, the Chinese had built all these up, but with all the technological advance they had made, um, their leadership, the emperor at the time, had elect, elected to go insular uh, and, and not explore, which left the Chinese behind the rest of the world, or behind the Europeans, as it were, in exploratory uh, processes, and therefore they never reached the New World or, you know, until such time as the Europeans brought it to them and explained it to them. So this is one of those parts of history, that, one of the greater what-ifs, the societal issues. But here's a what-if that doesn't happen. This is something that we should probably chew on. Why were the societies in Europe and Asia more successful in technology perspectives uh, and advancements than the, than the societies uh, and the civilizations in Africa or North or South America, or Australia for that matter? And this is not a racial answer. There's, there's no race uh, answer here at all. The, the answer is is power, and I'll explain that. What does Africa and North and South America lack? Well, Southern Africa, North and South America lack um, that Europe and Asia have. Now let's go back twelve hundred years, fifteen to two thousand years. Let's go back to zero A.D. Right. You are a farmer in North America. You are in one of the uh, empires that have come up in Mexico or, or with modern-day Peru or even in, in the heartland of America, modern-day North America, the Great Plains. What do you use to produce food? Your food largely consists of maybe plantable vegetables or, or fruits, corn uh, and potatoes, uh, beets and squash, and you can plant those, which is fine. You can plant those in uh, the rest of the world as well if they existed, which they didn't. But what is the factor that limits your ability to plant? How do you plant them? Well, in Europe and in Asia and North Africa, you use horses or oxen. You have beasts of burden. Uh, which increased the overall productivity of farmers multiple folds. So, what you can do then if you're a farmer is you can use a beast of burden to plow up huge sections of land that you as a human cannot do. And you can feed this beast of burden the, the goods that come from the land that aren't things you have to plant. You can put them on grass, on pasture, and they can eat all the grass up which naturally recurs, so you just use, it, use nature to your advantage. You can domesticate animals. And you can domesticate animals uh, for food sustenance as well. Now, you can do some of that in North and South America, but not to the same level. There are no horses in North and South America or Australia. There are no horses in Sub-Saharan Africa. There are zebras in Sub-Saharan Africa, which are not domesticatable. There's no horses. There's no beasts of burden there's nothing that can plow that land up for you. So what do you have instead? 
the productivity level of the worker, of the farmer, of the laborer, is much, much lower than it would be if you were a farmer who had a beast of burden. And that limits your food production capacity. You can look at human society, especially in ancient times, as this, this balancing act between food surplus and population surplus. In order to have a population surplus, you have to have a food surplus. If you have a population surplus and you have a food deficit, guess what you have next? You have war, murder, revolution, and society collapses. If you look back in history, you can find examples of when society collapsed or when current orders were overturned just by looking at the food supply. Look at France in the 1780s. It's bankrupt, and there's no food because climate change and the Little Ice Age has ravaged, um, has ravaged the uh, French food supply. And there's no way to trade because they're bankrupt, so the people are starving, and everyone's pissed off and has a revolution and kills the king. It's a little simplified, but that's exactly it. If you look back at um, even the Arab Spring, if you look back... Um, after Tunisia happens, one of the things that happens in uh, in Egypt is the Egyptian government is going bankrupt and can no longer afford to subsidize the cost of bread for its population, and raises the, or removes the subsidies and the price of bread doubles or triples, which means people can't eat on the streets anymore. The minute your people start starving, it's the minute that people come for your head. They can go through all kinds of autocratic rule. They can handle you going through their their stuff. They can handle you doing any number of bad activities to them, right? The thing they cannot handle, though, is they cannot handle starving to death. That is the one thing that populations will revolt and overthrow your happy bottom with. Now, you can look at the Homodor and examples in the Soviet Union as some of the, the exceptions to the rule, and they do happen, of course. Soviet Union is unique. Um, but generally, as a rule, famine if not dealt with in a relatively quick manner or not felt equally across the population, will lead to a revolution. You look back in antiquity and you look back in some of the histories of, of the North and South American continent, some of the population and civilization that lived here before, there are times when the civilizations collapse and this, the archaeology archaeology uh, record looks like the, how the cities are just abandoned. And no one knows why. The reason why, as discovered, is starvation is that corn and the, the vegetables that can be grown and the foodstuffs that can be grown on the land by the uh, farmers also strip the farmland of its nutrients. But there's no beasts of burden. So I have no way to move the farmland further out into the environment. I have to keep it where it is because I have to manually bring it back to, uh, to, to the, the group of people, to the cities. And if it's too far out, there's no way for me to do that in an effective manner. The logistical apparatus breaks down because I have no horses. I have no wagons that can do it. It's just manual labor, which means the productivity levels of those farmers drops precipitously, meaning that the city life is untenable. It cannot be sustained because there's not a population surplus, not a food surplus in perpetuity. Now, the, the critical point here about having a food surplus and a population surplus is that I have to have enough people that are not practicing farming that can live in the cities that can work on, on being smart, right? I don't have to now work as a, um, as a farmer. I can work as another profession. And when you start getting that, uh, the most successful econ uh, economies are the ones that are the most highly specialized, 
If you want to find economies, you can go visit countries that are more poor. You will find that workers can be jacks of all trade. You can find a farmer who can repair a car uh, and who can fix electrical wiring and who can do some basics, like do some basic carpentry, etc., etc., because they have to. You want to go find a highly uh, industrialized economy or highly specialized economy with, with high values of, of labor and productivity. You're going to find the labor is highly specialized. You're going to find out that the labor might not even be able to change its own tire of its car, but they sure as hell can do damn good taxes for you. And that is the difference. That's the determining factor. But in order to have that factor come out, you have to have a population surplus, which means you have to have a food surplus. And without a food surplus, you don't have more population. You don't have cities grow at the same rate they should. You don't have technological advancements. Um, that you could have. Now, I say could because that's only one variable, of course. If you have, let's pretend you have an extremely uh, ideologic-centered religious society, a theocracy that, that prevents the study of new information which might undermine its authority, well, then, of course, you're going to have some limits there as well. But all things being equal, if you do not have enough food, you can't have enough people, the people can't live in cities, they can't generate new ideas, therefore your society stagnates. The reason that North and South America never had the technological advancements that Europe and Asia had, even though they had the same amount of time to do them, is because they did not have beasts of burden. Their inability to have cities last in perpetuity for millennia and grow population bases and help spread the genes and, and do all the things they need to do to get the intellect uh, into one area to work together in a university style and, and to have the discussions they needed to have, to come out the way they needed to have, to build the ships they wanted to have, they couldn't do that because they didn't have the ability to project power on their environment. And this is one of the critical factors in my mind in human evolution, uh, in societal evolution, rather. The ability to project, to domesticate animals. You can domesticate plants all you want, but if you can't domesticate animals to help you plant those domesticated plants, you are on a ticking time bomb. Eventually, you are going to utilize all the nutrients in the ground of that crop that you have, and the ground's going to become useless to you. Your crop yields are going to drop, and people are going to starve. Productivity is going to drop per farmer to return to sustenance and your population is going to spread back out across across the land to find new ways to eat because it's starving once again. This is the challenge that has beguiled human history up until um, humans discovered how to domesticate animals for production, food production. And that's for eating those animals uh, and for, um, for maximizing the value they can give them on the land. The reason that North and South America remained technologically backward and Sub-Saharan Africa technologically backward compared to Asia and Europe was not due to their own fault. It was simply because they lacked the power. They lacked the ability to project power. Even today, even today, if you have unlimited power or your society can be more productively inclined toward power, the more successful your society will be. Imagine if you had unlimited power today. What could you do with unlimited power? We think we do. I turn the light on. It turns on. I have unlimited power. Well, that's you as a person, society as a whole. If society as a whole had unlimited power, you could solve climate change now. You could simply capture carbon in the air and freeze it and put it in deep freezers. Because you have unlimited power, 
So there's nothing that you have to worry about. The power just comes, you know, it comes from the sun or it comes from the wind or however you get it. It's not carbon emitting. If you had unlimited carbon-free energy, you could terraform a planet. You wouldn't need to worry about the different levels of, of different gases in the environment. If they became out of a standard model, uh, you could just remove the gases through freezing them and through, uh, through different chemical variances in order to, to store them inside of a facility that you could keep them until you need to release them again. We almost have that ability now. We just have to take the next full measure, and I'll discuss that at a later date. But this is one of the variables that I think has helped color my understanding of human history and helped color my understanding of, of societal woes and, and ways that we can help uh, understand why some groups were less advantaged than others, historically speaking. I don't think that any one group of humans is uniquely talented in such a way that they are better than another group of humans. They simply have had more advantages and more luck in many cases than other groups. If your ancestors came from Europe or Asia, they had far more luck than if your ancestors never left sub-Saharan Africa or if they crossed in that land bridge from Asia to North and South America to, to populate those two continents. Because unless they were lucky, they did not have horses. And if you don't have horses, you don't have some other form of cattle or some other beast of burden that can work the fields for you, you're never going to have a population surplus because you never have a food surplus. Which means you're constantly going to be in a society that is only one step away from being sustenance farming because you don't have the ability to produce more food. So I know that was a, a long thought process there, but it's one that's been in my mind for probably years, and it's been hard to kind of get it out in a format outside of a podcast, I think, which is digestible for the average person because my writing can be sometimes a bit too dense or inaccessible. Anyway, um, so the podcast is uh, is coming along, clearly, and um, uh, I'm going to probably have another one of these tomorrow, maybe. We'll see. But uh, I've got, I, I got some new uh, artwork for the podcast, so I'll have that published and posted on different websites. You can see it now on Podbean. Uh, and I'll have this podcast up on iTunes relatively shortly, I believe. And I, I'm going to get some music. I'm going to probably have a composer. You can go on um, Fivery. Uh, I think it's called Fivery, F-I-V-E-R-R-Y. It's pretty neat. Um, uh, you can go on that site and have people do stuff, like make compositions for you or give you the, you know, whatever that you can have done. The logo art was done on there. Um, for, you know, anywhere from 5 to $30 and create something for you that's kind of unique and, and different. Which, so I'm going to have some music on here, an intro and, a, and an exit theme, I imagine. And at some point in the future, probably in the next few weeks, I'm going to try to have some guests on as well. Um, but uh, as today goes, I hope your day goes well. And uh, this was a bit shorter. I'm going to try to keep these down to 20 to 30 minutes a day. And uh, have a great afternoon. And we'll talk later.